The passage we're going to be looking at this morning is in Mark chapter 4. Uh, the main text is going to be verses 35 to 41. And I encourage you to go ahead and open your Bibles up to that text as we walk through that portion of Scripture. Uh, we're also going to be following up with Mark chapter 5. I've titled the sermon this morning, When You Get to the Other Side. I want you to think about that for a moment. When you get to the other side. Let me introduce to you the scene where our study will take place this morning. Jesus' ministry is being carried in Galilee. His basic headquarters is in Capernaum at the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has been moving in the area and teaching in the villages and towns of Galilee. On this particular day, Jesus had spent the entire day in this area on the edge of the sea. If you have your Bible open, we're going to read Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. On that day, when evening had come, He said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took Him with them in the boat, just as He was. And other boats were with Him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke Him and said to Him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And He awoke, and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? I want you to notice in verse 35, the disciples, they have an important decision to make. On that day when evening had come, He said to them, let us go across to the other side. This had been a long day of ministry for Jesus and His disciples. So far, Jesus has been confronted by the scribes and criticized by His own family. Because of all the crowds, Jesus uses a boat to teach some parables, and now he wants to go for a boat ride to the other side. What we see in this verse is Jesus urging his disciples to set sail for the other side of the lake. Obedience to this command requires that these disciples would leave the crowd to join Jesus in the boat. To join Jesus, the disciples would have to leave the crowds and the security of the shore. They would have to take a step of faith if they wanted to get to the other side where Jesus was going. Keep in mind at this point, they have no idea what is on the other side. They have no idea where Jesus is taking them. At this point, the other side was simply unsettling and uncertain. Looking at verse 36, we notice they take the step of faith 
as they make their decision of obedience to follow Christ. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. The Sea of Galilee is really a lake, but it's called a sea because it has a lot of the same characteristics. It's roughly 13 miles long and 8 miles wide, and it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. The sea is known for its severe storms as cold wind whips down from snow-capped Mount Hermon and combines with the warm lake air, causing explosive thunderstorms and gale-force winds. It was not uncommon for the waves to reach a height of 10 to 12 feet and sometimes up to 20 feet. One commentator wrote, The sea was known to swallow entire ships and gulp down people. In verse 37, we see the obstacle that they must overcome. In fact, we see what becomes life-threatening circumstances and situations they'll soon experience. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. The word great refers to something being huge. The word for windstorm is used for a hurricane. Matthew uses seismos or seismic to describe it. The imperfect tense is used here to let us know that the sea kept spilling over into the boat. Matthew says the boat was being swamped by waves. I want you to picture this, if you will, using your imagination in your minds as this ocean water continues to spill over on top of the disciples into the boat. What would be going through your mind? What would you be thinking in this moment? I don't want you to miss the point here. Jesus sent them into the boat knowing that a storm was coming. In order to get to the other side, they had to go through a storm. Don't think that just because you're going through some storms in your life right now that you're somehow being punished or that you're being disobedient. No doubt that God does send storms to get our attention like He did for Jonah. But the other times the Lord sends storms because of our obedience. My guess is that you're in one of three places this morning. You're either in a storm right now, you're coming out of a storm, or you're about to head into a storm. As you and I reflect on the storms we've experienced in our lives, I think we would agree that when a storm comes, they are often sudden. They come in a split second, seemingly out of nowhere. All it takes is one phone call, a doctor visit, an accident a job loss, a relational or marital or financial problem, COVID. They're severe. The disciples think that they're going to drown, and some of you feel like you're drowning right now. This had to be some storm, as we know, at least four of the disciples were fishermen, and even they, as experienced fishermen on the ocean, were quite disturbed with what they were experiencing. The storms, not only are they sudden and not only are they severe, but they're often surprising. 
I'm often surprised when a storm hits, but I shouldn't be. We need to reject a faith that's filled with a formula that says, if I do A, then God will do B for me. God's plans may be puzzling, and they often include problems, but they always, always, always come with His presence. So where is Jesus when the storm comes? He's taking a nap in the back of the boat. Think about that for a moment. Imagine how tired Jesus must have been. I'm not sure I could sleep through a hurricane-sized storm in a boat on the sea. Verse 38, it says, He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Here we see a picture of the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is physically exhausted from a hard, full day of preaching to a crowd of hardened hearts. In this verse, we see Jesus trusting God in the midst of the raging storm, we see it contrasted with the disciples' fear and terror in their hearts. The disciples see Jesus' untroubled sleep as a token of His lack of concern for their safety in their hour of danger. They awaken Him with this indignant complaint as if He were the one responsible for their life situation. Their question you do care that we are perishing, don't you? It expects the answer from Jesus to be, why, yes, yes, I, I care. I care deeply. But it suggests that they're really upset with his apparent lack of concern to do anything about the situation. The disciples, they're verbally expressing, do we mean so little to you, Jesus, do, do we mean so little that you're just going to sit there and sleep? Jesus didn't keep them from the storm. Jesus is in the storm with them. Let me pause and repeat that for a moment. Jesus didn't keep them from the storm. Jesus is in the storm with them. Before we get too hard on the disciples, don't we often do the same thing with God when He doesn't do what he want, we want Him to do for us? Isn't it common for us at times to attack God's character, to question God's goodness when bad things erupt in our lives? While we're taking on the water, while we're sinking under the waves of worry, God often seems asleep in our life as well. A few years back, as I was experiencing a storm in my life, I can remember crying out to Jesus. I can remember the situation vividly in my car. I remember in my mind and screaming out loud to God, God, how can Satan win? How? I remember in my mind thinking, Lord, I've given you everything. Or at least I, in that moment, thought I had. Over the course of 2020, have there been times where you've been tempted or have you questioned God's character or His goodness? Have there been times where you have somewhat lost hope? The greatest storm that night wasn't on the Sea of Galilee. 
but it was in the souls of the disciples who were with Jesus on that boat. A commentator, Matthew Henry, says that the ship that has Christ in it, though it may be tossed, it cannot sink. It is only in the storm that we understand who Jesus really is. I am sure Jesus, knowing what lies ahead, is thinking, if you could only see what I see, if you only knew what I know, you would understand the bigger picture that in this tiny storm that seems overwhelming to you right now, that this is just an obstacle in the way trying to prevent you from focusing on my goodness and trusting in my character over your life. Remember, the other side is still waiting. I love how Jesus slept through the storm, but as soon as his children cried out, he, he woke up. Verse 39, and he awoke and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. We just saw Jesus' humanity in the previous verse. Now we see in full effect Jesus' deity. Jesus answers their anxious cries by rebuking the wind with the word. The phrase used here means to be muzzled and to remain so. What a picture. When Jesus stood up, all the forces of nature took notice. This reveals to the disciples that Jesus has the power to do what only the God who created the sea can do. If the disciples only understood in this moment that they had set sail with one who has such power, they would confess all of their fears were groundless. The purpose here, though, is that the disciples' faith must continue to grow and mature through life's hard circumstances. Jesus in His deity knows what lies ahead for Him on the cross. He also knows what lies ahead for His disciples as most will eventually become martyrs for their faith. The teacher is simply preparing His disciples what lie ahead. Most of us most of us, if we're honest, are worried about our own little worlds and the storms that roar in to destroy them. In these personal situations, we may feel swamped by waves of a different sort. Like the disciples, we may feel like the cries for help are met with silence from heaven. Fear often leads to despair that, that God doesn't care. Adoniram Judson, a missionary, he fell into this deep despair after the death of his baby, Maria, which followed his wife's death by only months. His grief was compounded because he was not with his wife during her illness. Swamped by waves of spiritual despair, he lamented, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in Him, but I find Him not. 
As believers in Christ, we can't always expect a miraculous intervention that will calm all our storms. Why? Because we live in this fallen, broken, sinful world. Which means that for now, storms are a part of life in which none of us can escape. Chaos will hit our life, and when it does, it can happen quickly. This is a key moment for Jesus to teach His disciples through firsthand experience. As there are some things He knew that they were not going to understand unless they went through some storms of their own. I love that while the disciples accused and attacked Jesus, He responds gently and tenderly to them. This is where truth turns into trust. This is where learning is translated into living. Here we see three purposes behind God's plans of the storms. First is Jesus is dealing with our fears. After rebuking the storm, Jesus reproves the disciples by asking some questions in verse 40. He says, why are you so afraid? That word means timid to the point of giving up. Why are you giving up? Jesus had already promised that they were going to the other side. They had already seen His power in the other settings. And they had already known the fact that He was present with them. What more did they need? Jesus asked you and I the same question this morning. Why are you so afraid? One of the other purposes in the storms we see is Jesus is growing our faith. The question here, have you still no faith, can be translated, do you not yet have faith? The biggest issue here is not that Jesus stopped the storm, but that he couldn't find their faith. It's ironic that it's only the wind and the waves that are obeying Jesus in this passage. You see, one of the third purposes we can see in the storms is that Jesus is increasing our awe. After Jesus asked them two questions, the disciples are very unsettled. And in turn, in verse 41, we see that they ask him a question back. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the seas obey him? Who then is this? Who then is this? Luke adds that they were afraid that they marveled. You've heard of the calm before the storm, right? This is the storm after the calm. The storm made them afraid, but the power of Christ made them petrified. The word fear literally means they feared a great fear. To be stricken with awe and amazement in the presence of one greater than self. They had a combination of fear and in this moment, reverence. With deity on full display, they're twice as terrified as they were in the storm. If Jesus did that to the forces of nature, what could He do to them? One translation reads, What manner of man is this 
He was more frightening than what they had just experienced in the storm. They realized they were in the presence of the holiness and came unglued like Isaiah did in Isaiah 6, verse 5. Woe to me, I am ruined. You see, they recognized they were in the presence. He is the Christ, the Son of God. Mark is inviting you and I this morning to respond, Who is Jesus to you in the midst of your storm? Have you given Christ complete control of everything in your life? As 2020 comes to an end, we don't know what's waiting for us in 2021 on the other side, but Jesus does. He's great. He's good. He's wise. What do you need to trust Jesus with right now? Every crisis we go through is an opportunity to get to know Jesus better. Did you use the storms of 2020 to get to know Jesus more? Is Jesus steering your ship? Are you allowing Jesus to be the commander of your boat? It's very interesting to read in verse 38 that Jesus was asleep on the cushion. The use of the definite article, the, shows us that it was a specific cushion. This cushion was reserved for the captain of the ship. Jesus is in the spot of the steersman. Is Jesus steering your life? Is He the captain of your ship? Are you growing in your awe of Christ? Settle the fact that life is not about you. Life is not about you. Remember, the other side is still Waiting. Have you figured out yet what's waiting on the other side? Why is this other side I keep referring to so important? Jesus won't always calm the storm, but He'll calm you. He may not always change your circumstances, but if you surrender to Him, He will change you in your circumstances. Finally, We come to the other side. Let's see what this other side is all about. Why is the other side so important that we must travel through this storm? Mark 5.1 reads, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. The other side, the country of the Gerasenes, this is the opposite side of Galilee. They came to this near, this small town of Gerasa, a little further south, more inland, is a more important town called Gadara. So they come to a village called Gerasa that was situated in the region of Gadara. This is a rural area like being in the country. This was also what was referred to as Gentile country. The disciples are more likely assuming that they're coming to this area finally to rest from the crowds, from the storms, from everything that's been going through emotionally uh, for them and through them at this point. And then we notice in verses 2-8, to when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met Him. Out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind Him anymore, not even with a chain, for He had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. 
Reading on, it says, No one had strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Later in the text, we learn that this demon-possessed, tomb-dwelling man is now sitting clothed and in his right mind. From all outward appearances, this garrison demoniac was as hopeless of a man as there ever was. Possessed by a legion of demons, you would think that he was beyond any hope for recovery. But then, but then, he met Jesus. The man met Jesus and his life was forever transformed. Verses 16 and 17, And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Most of us would assume or like to believe that the type of account that we just witnessed would cause a massive spiritual awakening, a revival of sorts in this entire region. But that's not how the village people here responded. In fact, we see the people, they implore Jesus to get out. Jesus, leave. We don't want you. Luke records that all the people asked him to leave. Instead of wanting to hear more, to see more from Jesus, their depraved, sin-filled, hardened souls want Jesus to leave from their presence. They didn't want any more of Jesus or His holy presence in their lives. I want you to ponder that for a moment. Verses 18 and 19, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Isn't it interesting to note that Jesus did nothing else while in Gadara. We don't find him teaching in the synagogue, feeding multitudes, healing the sick. He simply came through the storm on Galilee to reach this one lost sinner. That one lost wretched soul needed a Savior and Jesus showed up in His most desperate hour of need. As Jesus brought the disciples along with Him on this mission to the other side, what do you think this experience taught them? The impression that this left on their souls. The man who had been demon possessed begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus denies the man's request and instructs him. He says, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he had mercy on you. This man doesn't want to live another day without being in the presence of Jesus. He doesn't even ask where he's going. He just simply wants to go wherever Jesus is going. This tormented soul has been reborn into a fresh new man who simply wants to be at the feet of Jesus. Isn't that what a disciple is? Someone who simply wants to be in the presence of Jesus as much as they can. 
Jesus sends this new disciple back to his home region to be a missionary. He had no training, no massive education. He had only been a believer for one day. And Jesus is already sending him back home to be a missionary. I guess we can look at it another way. Like how much knowledge must one have, being he's the only missionary in the country. Verse 20, And he went away and he began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. You see, true, genuine faith shows itself in obedience. Notice here that the man went away and immediately proclaiming what Jesus had done for him. Mark records that when the healed demoniac told his story, when he told others about what Jesus had done for him, the people, it says, they marveled. Let me bring you back to the beginning of the story. The other side. The Gentile country, the village of the Gerasene, the region of Gadara. The reason why Jesus crossed the storm-filled Galilee with His disciples to get to the other side. To meet with this legion of demons, this demon-possessed man, this now-healed man began proclaiming the name of Jesus back home in Decapolis, a region of ten Greek influential cities. This man works his way through each city in the region proclaiming Christ. This man knew nothing but his own personal testimony and the power of God and what it did for his life and what it could do for those who would believe in the name of Jesus as well. Did this man's ministry have an effect? You can read ahead and look at Mark chapter 7, 31 and 32, and it says, A little while later, Jesus goes back into the Gentile region of Tyre through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. You see, Jesus makes a visit to the Decapolis region And they brought to him one who is deaf. And wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why would they bring somebody to Jesus who was deaf? He didn't minister in that area. He had only been there that one time in his encounter with a demon-possessed man. Why? Because the witness and the testimony of that man, of that man had been going on in the months before Jesus came back, and they were bringing people to Him, people who needed to be healed. That is the amazing part of the story of how Mark 4, 35-41 and Mark 5, 1-20 are so closely tied together. Then check this out in chapter 8, verse 1. In those days when there again was a large crowd, the man's witness about Jesus Christ had led that entire whole region know who He was. And when He came back, the crowds were there to receive Him. What a faithful man that led many more changed lives in His region. Let me simplify this story a little bit more in a way that might hit closer to home for each of us today. To do so, I need you to use your imagination a little bit. What if this man, let's say he was a husband and a father... Imagine his excitement as he was heading home to let his family know what happened to him. What if they had been praying for weeks, for months, on their knees and years for God to rescue his soul? Could you imagine a prayer like this? Lord, will you please rescue the soul of my husband? Or dear God, please, please help my daddy. Please help bring him back home safely to us. 
Imagine he finally makes it home and he sees from a distance his children and his wife playing outside in the dirt. Imagine their excitement as they see their father for the first time in a long time from the distance. Mommy, mommy, it's daddy. It's daddy. He's coming home. He's come home. No longer walking. Now the man is in a sprint, gathering in his arm his little boy and his precious daughter who had run to him. Then there in the doorway stands his wife. Now they're all embracing in tears of joy because their family's finally back together. The wife asks, what happened? And the husband looks her square in the eyes. And he says, let me tell you about this man named Jesus who saved my soul. The Son of the Most High God. Let me tell you everything that He's done for me. I imagine this man telling this incredible story many, many more times. Over and over and over the course of his life. Luke 7.47 says it best, Those who are forgiven much, they always, always love much. I imagine there's nothing that healed a man. I imagine there's nothing the healed man wouldn't have done for Jesus. I imagine the man would have climbed any mountain and crossed any sea for Jesus. I imagine no mission would have been too daunting for this man. This is what transformation ought to inspire in each of us. Was the other side worth it? Will you take your eyes off your storm? Place them on your Savior? Will you take your eyes off your storm? Place them on your Savior. Is He worth it? Do you trust Him? Do you trust His character? Do you trust His goodness? One simple question to ponder as you respond. How has Jesus been speaking to you this morning? As we come to a close in 2020, only Christ knows what's waiting for you on the other side in 2021. I don't know how God is speaking to you in this moment. Maybe for the first time you need to surrender your life to Christ. You can fill that information out on a card and email that to us. Let us know the decision, the next step the Lord is calling you to make. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, that is the first step He's calling you to take. Will you obey? Maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ. Maybe your life has been focused on yourself and your own storms. Maybe Christ is asking you to put your eyes back on Him. Will you make that decision to recommit your life, to put your eyes back on Christ, not your storm? And then third, will you ask Christ, to show you the ministry that's waiting for you on the other side when you place your eyes, your faith, and your trust 
in Christ through your storm? Will you ask him to show you the ministry opportunity that's waiting for you as you trust him? That lies ahead for you in 2021. Will you follow him? Maybe you need to follow through with believer's baptism. Maybe you've surrendered your life to Christ and it's a private decision you made in your heart, but you haven't made it public. Maybe it's time to make that decision public. I don't know what next step you need to take. But my prayer is this, is that you'll take whatever next step Christ has been speaking to you to take. Maybe it's to reach out to somebody you know who's going through a storm that you went through years ago that needs your help, prayers, hope that you can offer them in Christ, that needs your love, that needs your time. However Christ is calling you to respond, I pray you'd respond. Please send that information. Let us know. And I promise we'll get back to you as you reply and send that to us and email it to us. We'll reply and get back to you as well. Let's pray. Father God, this this year has brought so many painful memories for many of us in this room. Father God, and at times maybe it's caused us to question your goodness and your character. Lord, but as we're reminded in the text this morning... And Lord Jesus, your presence is always with us. And your presence is the place we want to be. Father God, I pray that we would take our eyes off of self and place them on Christ. I pray for each person that's watching, Father God, this morning, that will watch, Father God, this message. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each heart. I pray for our church in 2021, Lord Jesus. So many people with so many different raw emotions. I pray, Father God, we take our eyes off our circumstances and place them on Christ. I pray we would trust you. I pray we trust you with what you have that lies ahead for us, individually and as a church, corporately. Father, we're thankful for Christ. We're thankful for your son that you sent to die on the cross for us. You love us that much. Father, as we end 2020, I pray we would just spend time meditating, reflecting on, and thinking about who Jesus is. Our Savior. Our Healer. Our Jehovah Jireh. Our Deliverer. Father God, our Protector, our Shield, our Faith, our Comfort, our Source of Strength. Our Hope in our times of need. Remind us who you are as we wrap up this year and as we prepare to head into a new year. Father, we love you. We ask all of this in the precious, holy name of Jesus. Amen.